After leading for the majority of the game on Monday, West Virginia lost their sixth straight game, losing 81-77 to Baylor after guard Taz Sherman was concussed after dropping a career-high 29 points. With less than four minutes to play, Sherman was out of the game and West Virginia could not recover. We talk Sherman's status going forward, the possible emergence of this team in February, Big 12 tournament scenarios, as well as look at Chris Beard's return to Texas Tech and discuss a couple important dates regarding West Virginia football. This is the BlueGoldSports.com podcast. What's going on? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker here today on the BlueGoldSports.com podcast. West Virginia with probably the most heartbreaking defeat of the season. Mountaineers led most of the way after the last five minutes of the second first half, excuse me, and they just couldn't get it done in the end. Obviously, Taz Sherman going down with a concussion in the last four minutes was huge, but in the end, uh, Baylor was too much. Aaron, how, uh, how's your day going? How are you doing on this uh, Tuesday afternoon? And how do you feel about the Mountaineer loss last night? I'm okay. I'm feeling a little bit better than I was last evening. Um, it was a tough loss for the Mountaineers, especially after losing five straight. Um, with a uh, Baylor team with a couple injuries, they needed that one. And they, they, they fought and they played a great game and just heartbreak, continued heartbreak for the Mountaineers. Yeah, you speak of those Baylor injuries. Uh, West Virginia kind of caught a break heading into things. Um, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, who combined to score 39 points in their first meeting two weeks ago, they were both out with injury, leaving Baylor's guard depth um, very shallow, I think is the word I'd use there. And uh, it gave West Virginia a shot on a night where they're coming off a game a day and a half ago. Um, it gave him a shot on the road, and I think they showed that throughout most of the game. But in the end, I think it was Baylor stars stepping up when Taz was off the floor that made the difference. Yeah, in Morgantown, um, there was no Akinjo, so we saw LJ Cryer kind of go off. So with him being side on, I kind of figured, you know, Akinjo being the Arizona transfer, um, he's averaging double digits a game. I figured he'd be good. Um, I don't. I didn't know he'd be 25 points good. Unfortunately, he was left open a lot. Um, their big men were good. Chamwa Chachwa again. I mean, six or seven from the field. He he ate the Mountaineers up last last time in Morgantown, and Sohan did not play Morgantown. He came to play. He had a couple of big shots, and yeah, their stars got got the job done. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to go to first here is Taz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last three minutes and change, Taz was out of the ball game. Taz looked like he was trying to drive to his right, switch hands, gets hit on the head, should have been a foul call. Um, John Higgins right there, no no whistle there uh, to a lot of Mountaineer fans' dismay. And then you kind of see things not unravel even. I mean, you got to give West Virginia credit. They hung in there with the limited offense and limited like roster depth they had, but they just couldn't get it done. And I think losing Sherman when he had a career high 29 and he was making everything left, right, falling away, going to the basket, just shot fake, like every type of shot was going in for Taz. I just personally feel if you have Sherman there down those last three minutes and change, you win this game if you're West Virginia. Yeah, I agree with that. Sherman was amazing. During this five-game skid, you know, he hasn't been too good coming off COVID, and that's what you need. Um, a fifth-year senior stepping up, 
Um, he's from Missouri City, Texas, and he just he comes out and he just he plays his butt off. Had a couple turnovers, but he's just making everything. That's what he needed to get back going to the vintage pass. And to see him go down with about four minutes or three, three and some changes to go, that was heartbreaking. Um, I felt that it should have been Taz leading his team to victory in the final couple of minutes, as opposed to Meyer and Akinju for Baylor. Um, yeah, the John Higgins saga continues for Mountaineer fans. Uh, not a dirty play, but you know he gets he gets. I mean, it's a dirty yeah. play. Yeah, yeah he gets the, the, the jaw. It looked yeah. like a flagrant foul. That's a flagrant one foul yeah. by the looks I, of how it works yeah as a fan you know I, I thought that as well looking back at the tape i mean it's got to be some kind of whistle he gets bonked in the jaw and then he, you know no, nothing happens Bayer goes five on four and scores from it i mean that's just it's unacceptable yeah and i think taz the story was was taz the first the first 37 minutes the story was taz sherman and how he was just absolutely just putting this team on his back and willing them to a possible upset victory in Waco. But then the story became what happened with, without Taz. And that's kind of what I want to get into because another, a big example is Matthew Mayer. Mayer who scored 20 points two weeks ago in Morgantown didn't get anything going until Taz was off the floor. And then in those last three and a half minutes, he scored nine, all nine of his points, and just completely, that just completely changed the game without Sherman on the floor. Yep, that's what big time players do. And Meyer seems to love playing the Mountaineers. You know, 20 in Morgantown this year, 18 in Morgantown last year, including probably double digits in the second half. Makes a lot of big shots. You argue he's one of the worst players on the floor last night. It was like, I think he was 0 6 on the field at one point, missed all four free throws. He just wasn't playing good. And then, of course, I mean, in the final stretch, he's, he's making everything. He got multiple offensive boards, put it up. That's just what big-time players do, and it's frustrating to watch considering I thought he was really bad. And if Baylor was going to win, I thought it would be a guy like a Kenju making every shot in the final couple minutes. It was a Kenju and then Meyer. So a little bit frustrating there. For me, until those last three and a half minutes, it's almost like Meyer, Mayer, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name, wasn't even on the floor. Uh, he seemed to just not be there. Like Baylor's offense wasn't going through him. It was going through Akinjo and Sohan, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And when you have a guy like Matthew Meyer and he's cold throughout the game, obviously in the back of your mind, you think, all right, he's going to get his at some point because he's just that good of a player. But I think another thing that hurt West Virginia was just Baylor's overall talent. You saw... I just think the talent of Baylor just wear down, wear down, wear down. And then without Taz, your best player, it's it's just you, it, there, you can only do so much without your best player on the floor. Yeah, I mean, completely agree. The, the talent of Baylor is there. Um, you know, they got, they got guys on the bench that can step up and play, like Bonner from Fairmont State. Um, they got, you know, Akinjo was open, scored 25. He proved he can score at Arizona last year. They got Kendall Brown. You know, people are calling him a lottery pick. Only scored nine, but, like, that's, you know, that's nine that probably WV is not going to get, you know. So they're talented. They're deep. You know, big guys. Tom Wachacho is always coming to play against WV. So, yeah, they got talent. And with WV without Taz for the last three minutes, it was a tall task, and they just couldn't overcome it. 
Yes, and what I also want to say is I think the first half, especially those last 10 minutes, might have been the best 10 minutes of complete basketball that we have seen from this team in I don't know how long. I feel everyone who needed to step up and make a shot was making shots. They were finding Taz. They were finding open guys. And then on defense, they were active. They were moving. They were switching. They were rotating. They were gang rebounding, which we've asked this team to do so often. And unfortunately, that hard work could not pay off. The Mountaineers were leading at halftime. They were leading the entire second half, except until those last four minutes without Taz. Yep. Yeah, they were. They got a lot of contribution from other guys in the first half. Saw guys like Seth Wilson step up, make a shot, and then put up one of the buzzer that went in. It just felt like it was WVU's night. And it just felt like it was the Mountaineers' night to break this losing skid, make a tournament push. And yet it just it just fell by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think I think WVU found what they wanted to by playing small ball. Um, you know, JB was out there for 29 minutes, Gabe was out there for 27. Um, you got Kobe Johnson a lot more looks. Well, Malik Curry didn't play much, but you got Polly Cap and Cottrell and even Kerrigan to an extent was just they sat down. They were on the bench for most of this, you know, the run on the second half. Um Hugs decided to go small ball, and I thought it worked for most of the game. I think it did work, and I think though I'm gonna I don't want to go down too far of a rabbit hole with the referee situation here, but I think where it hurts obviously is going to be on the glass, and it's going to hurt there every single time. But uh, you, everyone's probably heard Huggins' frustration now. It's 4:30 on Tuesday afternoon. This game ended at 11 o'clock last night. Um, I just want to read you, Aaron, what Huggins said after the game. Just first about Taz. He said, I'm better off not talking about that. I'll get in trouble. Clearly something happened. He's lying on the floor. He's lying on the floor. He may have been unconscious at the beginning. I'm not sure. And they continue to play on, and we played five on four. Didn't stop the game. Didn't stop and go look at it. Didn't stop the game at all. I think Huggins' frustration is valid. Um, his best player on the road against a top 10 opponent, just got hit in the head, no whistle was blown, and they continued to play on as if my shoe was untied. Um, obviously, injuries should be taken seriously, but I also think there should have been a foul call there. And I think a, a, a lot down the stretch, you saw West Virginia players complain. I think Matthew May, uh, Matthew Meyer, he pushed. He, he got a rebound, pushed. I believe it was JB down low. And JB looks at the ref and like makes a push sign and there was no call, obviously, but the officiating was questionable. That Taz call, I think, is highly questionable. I think that deserves to be looked at possibly by the league office, how questionable that is. But you can't catch every break. Mountaineers did catch some breaks, but in the end, the officials didn't seem – I'm not blaming this loss on the officials by any, by any means because that's not what should happen and that's not what either team or the officials deserve. But I'm saying they had an impact on the game – whether they meant to or not. They did have an impact on the game. Um, if you're just looking at the past footage, you know, it's bad. It's it's the best player on WB's team. It's it's not a, a clean play at all. And it goes five on four for a Baylor bucket. Somebody needs to be held accountable, but we know that won't happen. Um, but that's that's just the facts of the matter. And yeah, I don't I don't think the loss was all officiating. While I do think people need to be a I think some footage needs to be looked over 
with the Big 12, like, officials and all that. But I think WV just couldn't get a break. Um, I've seen it a million times, but, you know, balls were bouncing every single time in Baylor's favor. Anytime there was a rebound. WV's not a good rebounding team, but, you know, any kind of loose ball went to Baylor. Just And, and it's just the, the Taz play in general. You got a guy who's been playing his butt off all year, been playing great all year, and then can't really get back from COVID. You know, getting COVID in the first place is a bad break. And then once he gets going, boom, concussion. That, that's tough. It's extremely tough. And for a West Virginia team that is in now pure desperation mode, if they want to make March, um, it's not, it's, it's almost worst case scenario. Um, obviously, worse things could technically happen, but when you don't know the availability of your best player, as you come home for two must-win games against two top 25 teams, that is a hard pill to swallow considering you had a, the number eight team, arguably one of the top three teams, if we're being honest, based on skill and things of that nature. When you had that team on the ropes last night, and now you could be looking at a stretch where you've lost six straight, you have two top 25 teams coming into your building. If you're without your best player for one or two of those or both of those games, you could be looking at eight straight losses, kiss and march goodbye. Yep. Mountaineers could be in trouble. Um, what I saw last night was a lot of fight. I saw something that signified to me that they wanted to turn the ship around right now. They needed that win. They couldn't get it. Bad break with Taz. Um, yeah, if he's out, that, that's not good. There's no – there's no moral victories at this point. It's not, it's not like, oh, we, we almost went to Waco and pulled out a win. No, they have to, you know, there's no moral victories at this point. They need wins, and they got two at home with Texas Tech, Iowa State. I know they're good teams, but you got to pick them up. And if Taz is out for that, you know, you could be looking at kissing March goodbye, unfortunately. Um, don't know what his status is, but they're must-win games, not, you know, WV has to play good and then and then they'll figure out no they got to win now especially with six straight losses as far as Taz's status goes um he did tweet last night uh late last night early this morning he did tweet a thumbs up on Twitter um obviously that could mean a whole host of things it could mean he's okay it could mean his concussion isn't bad he could mean his head's not hurting or he could just be he could be saying a lot of things. Um, obviously, no one knows. We probably won't know until Huggins talks on Friday. Um, and until then, he might not even know. It might be up to a game-time decision, depending on the severity of the concussion. One thing I want to talk about, um, going back to your small ball point, is how efficient West Virginia was from the field. Obviously, when you get Taz to go 6 for 11 from 3, that'll help your cause. But the Mountaineers shot 54% from the field, 40% from three against one of the better defensive teams in the country. And yes, they were without two players. And yes, they were playing a lot of new guys on the floor. But I still think there is something to be said about having success on the road in a tough environment after a quick turnaround, after losing five straight, everything that went into this. I think all of the different variables, and then you come out and shoot above 50% and give yourself a chance to win. Obviously, as you said, Aaron, no moral victories in January and February, but maybe this team is starting to find what they need to find if they want to get 
actual victories instead of the moral ones. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. They they shot well in in a tough environment against the number eight team in the country. Eleven of twenty seven from beyond the arc. That's that's great. Taz was making all kinds of you know shots with defenders in his eye. Sean McNeil got going finally. Um, I know he, what he made a couple of three pointers. One was like falling down. That, to yeah, that three pointer that he I made, mean, it was like as the, it was it was it was almost like it was a circus shot. He was falling yeah. away, kind of. It looked like he just had one hand on the ball, just kind of chucks it up there. And I, and I I'm thinking to myself as I'm looking, I'm like, that has no chance of going in. It's going to be 30 seconds going down the other other way, and then it goes in, and it's like. Sometimes that's what shooters need. They just need yeah. to see one go in. They just need to see, have the miracle shot go in. And hopefully that can carry over, especially with the possibility of Taz being out. Yeah, I've learned that when Sean rises for a shot, no matter what it is, it's always got a chance of going in. Um, I've seen some of his circus shots. And when he pulled up for that, I had a feeling it was going to go in. And I just, I couldn't believe it the way, I mean, he almost fell when he landed and still made it. But yeah, I mean, the Mountaineers making shots is big time. If Taz is out, there's got to be consistent scores. Um, it just makes me like wish that that kind of shooting performance would have happened in the Coliseum against Oklahoma. They couldn't run an offense, and now you know they go down to Baylor. I know Baylor was down a couple of players, but they played they played great. They shot the ball good. It wasn't just Taz and and um, and Sean. It wasn't just like Malik getting to the foul line. They scored, and they're going to have to do that at home for both of these games coming up. Yeah, going to your point of you wish he did it against Oklahoma, because of the results, it almost feels like a wasted performance. Because of West Virginia ending up with another tally in the loss column, it almost feels like, well, dang, he did all of this. The Mountaineers played their butts off. Defensively, they hung with them. Offensively, they shot lights out. And it's still a loss. And I think that also then goes to show you the talent discrepancy between this West Virginia team and that Baylor team. Because West Virginia almost played their best game they could have. Obviously, they turned the ball over too much. Obviously, they didn't rebound like they should have. Obviously, some things with the refs and whistles didn't go their way. But this team played a really darn good game and didn't get rewarded. And I think that's the scariest thing about a team like Baylor is you could play your best game. They could not have two of their starters and you could still lose. Yep. Yep. They played a great game and they still couldn't beat them. That's how good Baylor is. They're number eight for a reason. They're down two players and they can still be uh, a hot, a hot shooting WVU team. WVU fans have seen that entirely too much where it's like, you know, these guys, these kids played their hind ends off. They, you know, nobody picked them to win and they deserve to win. Now, do they get a win? No, it's frustrating. It happens all the time and it happened again last night. Um, but Baylor's good. You got to give them credit. They're not going to go away just because Cryer and, and Flagler are out. And Flagler, you know, is experienced. They're not just going to go away and stop running offense because Flagler's gone. No, you know, they're, they're going to play. And it just felt like a game that WV deserved and they couldn't get. And, you know, that's heartbreaking for this group because they so desperately need a win. Exactly. And one thing I think that's been consistent with this losing streak has been West Virginia's defensive play. This season, early in the season, when this team got out to the 13-2 and two start, looked like a top 25 team, looked to be trending toward a top five, six seed line in the tournament. 
it's because they built their identity on defense. But one stat I want to read to you, Aaron, is West Virginia's last six games now. Um, against, And I want to read to you opponents' field goal percentage. So Kansas, Kansas shot 51.4%. Baylor the first time, 46.7%. Texas Tech, the lowest of the uh, string of losses at 40.7%. Oklahoma shot 51.1%. Arkansas, not known for their lights-out offense, shot 45% just to take over. And last night, Baylor shot 48.4% from the field. You've got to get better on defense. Um, you've kind of put your stamp, your this is what we are as a defensive team. And when you are letting five out of your last six opponents shoot at least 45% from the field, and you let a poor shooting Texas Tech team shoot 40%, and you let a Arkansas team that's not known for their offense shoot 45% from the field. That's just, that's trending in the wrong direction, and it's, and it's a trend that is unfortunately for West Virginia becoming a reality and becoming more who they are compared to what they were a month ago. Yeah, unfortunately, WVU's defense has not been very good. It seems like every time you look up, somebody that's been struggling, maybe an individual, if they're struggling, they just got to get against the Mountaineers and they're good. Um, for example, Akinjo, but not even him, Jalen Wilson for Kansas, had that was he was really struggling. He came in and scored 20 against WVU. McCormick was struggling before WVU, and he had a field day. Arkansas couldn't, wasn't scoring the ball efficiently at all, and – they were scoring left and right it's it's a struggle right now and you know it's you know they're they're not where they need to be defensively Akinja was their best player last night and that was obvious and yet it felt like Akinja was wide open so many times um Keedy was on him Keedy would get screened and then Akinja's wide open from deep and he's knocking it down or he's wide open from foul on extended area he's knocking it down so, you know, shooters have to, you know, closeouts have to be better. Got to get on, on shooters better. And, you know, WV's defense has a lot of holes in it right now, and they need to patch them up, like, really soon. Let's be honest, too. Baylor went 13-25 and 25 from the line. They make, I don't know, five of those, six of those. This game's a whole different story. West Virginia also, on the other hand, went 14 of 23 from their, the line. Their worst free throw sh uh, shooting performance in a while as well. And I wonder if both these teams playing Saturday, day and a half of rest, had something to do with it. But either way, you got to clean that up if you're Baylor. And you also got to clean that up if you're West Virginia, realistically speaking. Uh, one thing I want to get to, going back to your idea of small ball, let's say Taz can't go on Saturday. What do you think's the most ideal lineup? Because if you look at it last night, Isaiah only played for 11 minutes. Pauly Cap played for three. Uh, Demond played for nine. Those are your three bigs coming into the year at the five there. I'd say Gabe is more of a four who can play the five than a true five anyway. Mm -hmm. So those are your three fives. And they combined for 23 minutes between three guys. Um, then also, if you look at it, Malik Curry, three minutes. Obviously, if Taz ends up being out, I do think he gets more play. But I do – I would assume Kobe Johnson elevates – gets elevated into the starting lineup, and you see a Keedy, Kobe, 
JB, uh, McNeil, and Cottrell lineup? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, I would think, you know, Curry's the best option at guard, but I think Kobe Johnson's going to start. Um, I think Hugs like to, likes to stick to his gun. I mean, I, I, ideally, obviously, Sherman starts, but yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah, if he doesn't, you know, Hugs likes to stick to his guns. He likes to bring guys off the bench. Like, you know, Gabe doesn't start. He likes him better off the bench. I think he's going to do that with Curry. He did that with guys like Tariq Phillip, Jay Sean Page. They could have easily been starters, but they weren't. So I think Kobe Johnson's going to get the start. Um, I thought he played pretty well against Arkansas. I thought he gave us gave the Mountaineers good minutes last night. Didn't shoot particularly well, but he made a shot. I thought he was moving the ball around a little bit. Um, he's got to get looks. Um, Keedy's going to have to step up. I thought Keedy was not very good last night um, at all. So yeah, Keedy, that's what you're looking at. And minus 14, which was yeah. second worst to JB's minus 16. And Keedy was on the floor for 31 minutes, 31 minutes, excuse me, which was third most. Basically, he, he was a minute under Taz. So if you're looking at it, looking at it, Keedy is supposed to be there to guard your best player, but he's also got to make some shots. Um, he scored, finished with three points, all coming out the line. That's just not what you need from him. Yeah, I agree. Keedy, I, I thought, I know he tries on defense. He's, you know, he's, he's tough on defense. I didn't think he looked very good on the defensive end last night either. Seemed like he was always behind when Akinja was get, stepping up for a shot. So he's going to have to play better. And if you're going small ball, you know, JB played 29 minutes, Gabe played 27. JB's going to have to start making shots. His shots don't look good at all right now. He's not in rhythm. They kind of look like JB shots from the beginning of last season before he saw a couple go in. So he's got to get open and see a couple go down because he's going he's gonna to have a big ask of him because he's going to play a lot, again, assuming Taz is going to be out. Yeah, going back to your Keedy point, where was Malik Curry last night? Uh, three minutes, three personal fouls, 0-2 from the free throw line. Did not record a shot. Um, for a short time there against Kansas and then against Baylor, Malik Curry was out playing Kitty by a lot. Um, not just on the score sheet, but in minutes and minute wise. Um, what do you think's going on with that? Do you think he's hurt, Aaron? Do you think it's a decision of Huggins felt like Keedy was the better option on defense last night and on offense? Or do you feel like maybe Huggins talking the last few few weeks, last week really, especially about he's going to – it's not about who starts and who finishes games. It's now about who's going to get the most meaningful minutes. Do you think that's what it's about? Or what's your what's, – what's your, what's your, what are your thoughts? To be honest with you, I don't know. I, I hope he's not hurt. I don't think he is. Um, I think I mean, he looked Hugs fine. On, like he looked yeah. totally normal, but obviously I think, everything. Yeah, I think Hugs wanted to stick with Keedy for whatever reason. I mean, Keedy, you know, Keedy plays hard and doesn't need to be subbed out a whole lot. Um, he gives you stuff on the defensive end. He didn't give it to you last night, but him coming off an 18-point performance, I think, I get. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I guess Hugs wanted to stick with him. Again, you know, he, he can run up and down the floor, put pressure on the ball, and not really get winded that much. So that's the only thing I got for you. Um, I'm not really sure. You know, Malik has been given the Mountaineers better minutes overall usually, but it just wasn't there last night. Got in foul trouble like he did against Texas Tech, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah. 
um, it's just odd to me. I mean, he's been efficient. He's been scoring the ball. He's been getting to the line, being active on defense. And I feel like that's what you ask for him of him. And I just don't know what that was about. And I feel like we'll find out because if Taz is out, you're going to need a guard to step up. And if Huggins doesn't go to him and say he goes to a Seth Wilson and plays Kobe, Seth, Keedy, Sean, as your kind of four main rotation guards, I don't think I'm missing any guards there, am I? No. Um, if he kind of plays those guys there and you see Malik still get under eight minutes, under six, seven, like in that six to 11 range um, compared to his normal 15 to 20, 25 range, I feel like was what he was at. I feel like that's going to be a bigger story then. Yeah, if Taz is out and Malik gets under 10 minutes, then he – would be considered in Hugs' doghouse. I I don't think he is. I think I think that was a Hugs decision last night. Um, be interested to see how it plays out. I, I hope Taz gets to start the next game, but if he doesn't, Curry is your best option historically to score from the guard position off the bench or, or just somebody to score besides Sean and Taz at the guard position. So if Taz were to be out, and Malik wouldn't play that much, then there's a problem. Yeah, and I do think that's going to be one of the big storylines going into Saturday if Taz is unavailable is what happens with Malik Curry. Another thing I want to get to as far as West Virginia is looking at the state of things in terms of their confidence moving forward. I kind of really want to hit on the frustration of Sean McNeil. Post game yesterday, McNeil basically said everyone in this building's frustrated. Obviously, losing sucks. Um, obviously, losing is hard. But it seems to me, since conference play has started, teams have zeroed in on Sean and Taz, and Taz is still able to find success because he can create his own shot. But I feel like Sean has struggled the most out of the pair because he can't create his own shot. He relies on others to get a look for him. And I, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on, do you think, obviously Sean is frustrated. Obviously everyone is frustrated, but how frustrated, how much, how much more frustrated Sean probably is because of his limited opportunity on offense because he cannot create for himself. I would think he'd be one of the most frustrated ones out there because of that. Um, I was close to the action for the Oklahoma game. He was getting face guarded pretty much the whole game, wasn't getting open. As you said, he, he struggles to get open for himself. So, you know, with WVU's kind of stagnant offense at, at times, I feel like for Big 12 teams, the scouting report wouldn't be all that hard. It's, you know, zero in on, on Tash Sherman. He's their scorer. McNeil can absolutely kill you if he gets hot. So face guard him. Don't let him get open. You know, that's the, the big two. And then maybe, I don't know, respect Jalen Bridges from beyond the arc. And then respect after that, Jaylen you don't Bridges, have to. Be, but then again, yeah. you also have to keep in mind, Jalen Bridges has kind of gone silent. Yeah, he has. Games. Yeah, but, you know, if you're scouting, you know he can make it. Maybe Malik Curry just like don't make make sure he doesn't go left. And then outside of that, there's not many Mountaineers that can hurt you offensively. So I think that's why somebody like Sean is getting double teamed, 
getting consistently face guarded and it's hard for him to get open. Yeah, and then again, on back to the JB, Huggins did say post-game yesterday he's dealing with a hand injury. But obviously, it's Thursday, February 1st. Every college basketball team in America is dealing with having guys being banged up, having guys fighting through injuries. And that's just kind of the nature of the sport. Um, but I do agree with you that teams, if you can take either Taz or Sean out, um, it's kind of – makes it easy. I, I, it's hard to say easy because no wins easy, but it makes things relatively speaking easy for teams to, to for teams to beat West Virginia. Um, I feel like West Virginia's best games are when Taz starts getting hot teams are like, all right, we got to move on to Taz. And then Sean's like, okay, leave me open. Bang, bang, bang. Or other way around. Sean's going bang, 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 bang okay, let's double Sean here, kick it to Taz. Taz creates for himself and gets points. Yep. Um, I, I agree with that. Um, when you face a team like, let's say, Texas Tech on the road, they got like the top defense in America. So they're shutting down both. I mean, Taz, I think Taz scored a good bit against Texas Tech, but they have capable defenders, athletic defenders that can shut down both. So once you get past, if you're getting past Sean McNeil and letting him struggle and Taz, you know, isn't scoring 30 on you, you're doing pretty good defensively. And that's, you know, that's a success in their book. And, you know, Baylor didn't do quite as good of a job last night as they kind of let both of those guys get hot. If, if Sean and Taz are both getting hot, then you've kind of failed defensively. But like a game like Oklahoma, both guys were getting face guarded the whole game. They didn't let Malik Curry get downhill and they did a good job stopping them out in your offense because once you take out those two players early, they're kind of done for. Yeah. Um, I think that's a problem. And obviously it's not like you can go get some, someone off the street. You are who you are at this point and you've got to adjust. One thing, one more thing that's big that I, I noticed in the Baylor game was careless turnovers. Um, whether it's a baseline out of bounds play, bad entry passes, forcing passes that just aren't there, just mistakes that are small mental errors that add up over the course of a 40-minute ball game, I feel West Virginia made a lot of. And I do also feel like Taz Sherman, albeit he has the ball in his hands more than anyone on this team, did make some errors that I'm just not used to and accustomed to seeing Taz make. I think it was in the first half. He was he, he forced an entry. He just kind of threw it into, in there, and Baylor just had to reach around and poke it out and it's going the other way. And then on the next possession down, he has a turnover. And then there's a two-on-one later in the game. between. It's like Sean Taz and one Baylor defender. Sean's foot's out of bounds. Those are just kind of the plays that – I'm not even talking about beating the number eight team in the country. I'm talking about winning a basketball game – against no-name state in November. Yeah. You can't make those kinds of plays, expect to win, and then when you're added, adding into it that you're playing a top-10 team on the road in January, you can't make those mistakes and still be able to get wins. Yep, um, you're totally right on that. It's, it's WVU. They have historically been known to shoot themselves in the foot, um, and this team is no different. Um, you know, Taz has had some bad turnovers over this losing streak. 
while he played good, he had another five last night. Sean had four turnovers himself. And like you said, there was one where he got the ball three-point line, and you could tell he's kind of like going to attack baseline. But his foot was out of bounds, and it wasn't even really close. His foot, he just didn't know where he was on the floor. That's the little errors that, that, that can't happen. And like Hug says, Hug says, if you feel so inclined to turn it over, kick it into the fifth row of the stand so we can set up our defense. WV doesn't seem to do that when they turn it over. It seems to always lead out to a break or some kind of two-on-one, three-on-two, something like that to where they're probably giving up two or three points out of it. Kedrian Johnson had five turnovers last night, and with him going, what, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, not playing good defensively, five turnovers can't happen from three different guards. I mean, it just can't happen. Yeah, looking at the stats, it says Baylor forced 15 West Virginia turnovers. They got 17 points off those turnovers. You lose by four. Math's pretty simple. You miss nine free throws and your opponent gets 17 points off your turnovers. You, you can you can find your way to winning that game if you make your free throws and do what you have to do with the ball. Um, another thing I want to get to now is just looking at the Big 12 standings. Obviously, Kansas and Baylor at the top. Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Kansas State round out your 10 there. West Virginia, it's looking more and more likely they're going to have to play a day one game in the Big 12 championship. And I would argue that's not the worst thing in the world, especially say West Virginia wins, I don't know, four games, five games the rest of the way. If you can get one of those extra games and when you're probably going to be playing a tournament caliber or a fringe tournament team and you can beat them possibly in Kansas City, I think that goes a much longer way than, say, you get the first buy, you get a buy, but then you have to then, but then you go lose to one of these teams, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts on that are, you know, WVU's got to get, like you said, four or five more to where, you know, they're on the bubble watch or something like that. I definitely think they're going to be in a day one game in the Big 12 tournament. So if you win one. Weird. I don't think has this – I think it's happened once. I think in in 2019 the, it was, yeah. that, team, that team after JC and Dax, that team obviously yep. struggled all year, but um, they – they were in the first round game, but they kind of made some noise there. Um, but historically speaking, Hugs' teams haven't had to go play that day one game. And it could work out to West Virginia's favor. It could be, okay, this is another opportunity, an extra game, you could say. Because say they win that game and then win the next one, that's an extra win on your resume that you would not have gotten otherwise. Yeah. First of all, they got to win four or so more regular season games. But, yeah. Going back to that team after Jason and Dax, that team struggled all year. Guys got kicked off the team. They had hugs, gave the team to the freshmen, McKay, Matthews, Culver, those guys. And they played Oklahoma day one, won at the end, had to play Texas Tech, who made the national championship, won that game. But they had already done so much like damage to themselves in the regular season that they had no shot at that point. But if you're looking at this Mountaineer team, if they win four or five more games and go into that day one game, make some noise, face up Kansas or somebody like that in day two and get some more momentum than if they were to somehow make the tournament, that puts them being dangerous. You know, that puts them being hot and stuff like that. So it is an opportunity. I mean, I mean, look yeah. at it, that 2010 Final Four team, they, 
they came they every big east game that year in the in the big east tournament came down to the wire and they ended up making it to the final four i think obviously it's not about how good you are in march it's about how hot you get yeah that 2010 team it's it's always going to be hard they're you know they made the final four in the first game of the big east tournament they had to win on a day but or buzzer beater they barely beat notre dame the next game and then they beat georgetown in the big east championship so WVU, it's just always competitive. Like looking back to last year, I thought the Mountaineers were a great team last year, but they lose a game they probably shouldn't have lost at home against Oklahoma State, which puts them in the, what, three, four game. And then they lose the first game of the Big 12 tournament. So now at that point, you got no momentum going into the NCAA tournament. You, you draw Moorhead State, who's not very good. You beat them, but you can't get past, past that. So gaining, gaining some heat in – Conference tournament games are, are so vital. And it's even more vital when your team relies on the shooting of two guys who carry your team and you need them to be hot to carry your team. One thing I want to take a look at as we kind of just speculate around a uh, Big 12 tournament conversation is I do not, I don't think that West Virginia is too far off of possibly making a run in Kansas City. And that's because they've seemed to play everyone close. With the exception of Kansas, obviously, who they still get another crack at 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 the Coliseum on a Saturday night. And what they announced this week will be a sold-out crowd. And that I bet that atmosphere will be electric. Um, The Mountaineers have hung with everyone in the Big 12. Texas, they lose by 15. All right, didn't have Gabe and Taz. Taz is there again. Totally different ball game. Kansas State wins. Oklahoma State wins. Kansas, we already talked about. Baylor at home hangs with them late. Baylor last night hangs with them late. Texas Tech hangs with them until late. Oklahoma hangs with them until late. Arkansas, not in the Big 12 tournament. Can't, no, doesn't matter. But these losses, it's not like West Virginia's going out there and losing by 20 every night and then making it close at the end. It's close, 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 run out of gas. And if this team starts stringing together wins, gets that confidence that, all right, crunch time, it's not going to fall apart. It's going to happen for us. Who knows what then that could translate into in the Big 12 tournament when you've had a lot of your roster, a lot of your big-time guys, Gabe, Sean, Taz, JB, playing these types of games, playing these tournaments before. And I think that could be a positive going into Kansas City. Yeah, at this point in the year, you, you need those type of wins, you know, six-game losing streak, but they showed us that they've got a lot of fight left, they've still got talent, and they can put a run together. At this point, that was a great effort, but they got to take it a step further and just play even better because when, once you get into late February, March, you got to play great, you got to get hot, you need some breaks. But if you're WVU, Breaks don't exist. That, that's not a thing. So you got to step it up another degree to, to go steal that game in Waco, to, you know, beat a top 15 team in, in the Coliseum. Because you're not going to get breaks either way. So you got to just elevate yourself even higher um, and, and get some traction when once you get to Kansas City. Yep. And I think that has to start with Saturday. Um, Texas Tech, a game where – Things were close where you had a chance if you're West Virginia uh, for a minute there. I think that's going to be must win with or without Taz 
you've got to figure out how to make it work. Because what I'm going to say about this team is all they need is one. If this team can see the ball go in the back of the net, this team can see themselves getting stops. This team, sorry, there's a loud police presence on my street outside right now. Um, there we go. All right. Back to what I was saying. Um, sorry, guys. If this team can see the ball go through the back of the net, step up on defense. Um, just do the things that they have to do to win, and then they finally get to win, and they get to win in front of their home crowd. They get to sing Country Roads the whole nine. I think once they do that, that kind of gets the ball rolling. Because if you saw it, even it going back to their non-conference schedule, although it wasn't against all these high – caliber teams you beat Oakland in your opener then you kind of beat Pitt then you kind of get the ball rolling there and beat Elon all right you drop one to Marquette but then they responded and we've been waiting on to see how this team will respond they're facing the most adversity most of these guys have faced in their four years three years here Sean McNeil Tyler Sherman gave us one they've been on good teams for the most part those last the last two years and it's just now going to be a matter of they've shown they can pick themselves off off the mat against Baylor, but can they pick themselves up and then win the fight is going to be what makes or breaks this team. And I'm not counting them out yet. I tweeted last night, um, this last six and a half minutes might define their season. Obviously they lost, but you still have – Everything, everything's still in your control. If you start winning games, if you take care of home court and then go steal two games on the road, you're in March, you're where you need to be, and you're giving yourselves a shot. Yeah, losing six straight at this point puts you in a lot of trouble, but they've still got an opportunity. They played a great game last night. They scored the ball. They had scoring, scoring from the two scores they needed to get going. Against Texas Tech, you're going to have to get that back. You're going to have to get those guys involved but you're going to have to play play defense to match Texas Tech's defense. Texas Tech has a swarming defense. You just know the Mountaineers aren't going to make whatever, 11 threes. And if Taz is out, it's just – it's such a tall task. But they have to bring that offense there to where it's enough. And then they have to somewhat match Texas Tech's defense. Just they, – they got to play. If they can see the ball go in consistently like they did against Baylor and get that win against Texas Tech – then that's going to give them confidence for Iowa State. Iowa State's a really good team, but they've got some holes. They lost at home to TCU by 15. If WVU beats Texas Tech, then I agree with you. I think they'll get the ball rolling. they got to get that win regardless of Tash Sherman's status, and that's that's a tough ask, but it's got to get done. The one positive I will say about Texas Tech is they're going to be playing their most emotional game of the year tonight. They welcome Chris Beard back into town. And it's just, it's kind of giving me a little goosebumps just thinking about it. It's just that he did so much. He transformed that program in so many ways. And now Texas Tech's going to want to go out there and beat the absolute breaks off their coach who completely just left. He left them. He left his players for the most part. He left what they had built, being a Final Four team. He left that to go to the same state, same conference, and to play for Texas. I'm looking at it now. Tickets on StubHub. It's 5 o'clock. I think the game's at uh, 
seven or eight and they're three hundred dollars um texas tech's gonna have an emotional game tonight and if they win that i think that even if they lose that even i mean they're gonna put everything and exhaust all energy into tuesday tonight um and that could kind of lean and then in favor of west virginia on saturday yeah here's my thoughts on that I, as you know, along with many other W fans, do not root for Texas. But tonight I will be rooting for Texas because if Texas Tech loses that game, they want to beat Chris Beard so bad. I mean, so bad. So if they lose that game, that super emotional game, maybe, just maybe, they'll let that game beat them twice and they'll come into Morgantown and let that game beat them twice. We've seen WVU do that a million times in football and basketball. They get that emotional game in Morgantown. They're so close, they lose, and then they go somewhere and lose a game they shouldn't lose and let that game beat them twice. So hopefully that that scenario could happen. If they go in there tonight and, and you know, beat Texas like a drum. If they beat Texas like 20, it could be scary. If they beat Texas like a drum, then unfortunately WVU is going to be in some trouble. Yeah, and I think, I think emotional games, we kind of – overlook them and we don't put as much stock into them as we used to and I think having no crowds for the last season for the most part obviously some places were a little different than others uh think and say what you want about that um having no crowds for the most part for these athletes I think now that they get 14,000 15,000 some places you're going to get 17 plus when you get these crowds it's like all right it's go time but then how do you respond after that when you could be playing in the Coliseum in a two-thirds full Coliseum on a Saturday afternoon after you just played on national television in the game every single person in college basketball was talking about that night? And how it's, 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 it's just a feeling, you know? These, these guys are young. They're 19, 20, 21 years old, and emotions run high. And I, I just feel like there's a lot of people that overlook – how big games affect these kids and affect these players and even affect these coaches. Cause if you're Texas tech and you're Mark Adams, you're thinking to yourself, I sat under this man for years. This is my shot to beat the guy who made me where I, to who, like who made my career almost. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I hate to kind of say, West Virginia is going to win or lose based on Tuesday night's result. But, I mean, it could give a clear indication, especially when you're desperate and when you're trying to find hope wherever you can get it. I think Texas beating Texas Tech could bring some hope. Yeah, it shouldn't be overlooked. Basketball is an incredibly emotional game. Even dating back to last year when there weren't many fans, like WV played Baylor, ended up winning the national championship. WV was right there. Missed a couple free throws late. Meyer went off. Wasn't that game like a 99-94 fest or something? Overtime. Like that, yeah. yeah. Overtime. Such an emotional game. They were right there. They needed one stop to win in regulation. They didn't get it. They lose in overtime. That's tough. They played a bad TCU team and come out and barely play. And then they play Oklahoma State and don't show up and lose. I just feel like that Baylor game last year – beat the Mountaineers two or three different times instead of just beating them once. And then they had no momentum for March Madness. So you definitely can't overlook the aspect of how emotional this game is. And that wasn't even 
there wasn't even much of a, of a crowd aspect in that. It's just an emotional game for these kids. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and um, West Virginia lost to Baylor 94-89 in overtime. And then after that, West Virginia beat TCU. But if you remember, that was the game where Jalen Bridges yeah, had to yeah. basically pick this team up. Nobody else showed back, up. And then – just will this team to victory. And then following that, West Virginia loses um, an emotional game in itself. It would have been Bob Huggins' uh, 900th win at home in front of West Virginia faithful. Um, Couldn't get it done. No Cade Cunningham in that game either. They still lost. Yeah, they lose that one by five. Then they go to the Big 12 tournament, lose to Oklahoma State by three. Then they kind of struggled sometimes. It it was never – I was never in doubt of West Virginia beating Moorhead State, but there was never a time where I felt, okay, West Virginia's got them beat by 20, 25, 30. It was kind of like they're they're kind of just – it's not Moorhead State keeping themselves in the game. It was West Virginia keeping Moorhead State in the game. And then it was Sy- – then they lost Syracuse. So you could see how one tough loss, one emotionally – like just where everything happens, where it's back and forth, things are crazy. You're playing such a good team, how that can kind of take things off the rails. And maybe in a tough big 12 um, where your team has already struggled. If you're West Virginia, maybe that happens to another couple teams. Mountaineers can catch some breaks and sneak into March. Yeah. It's a, it trickles down uh, when you lose that emotional game seen a million times with WV teams, even football. Um, you just lose that game and it trickles down and beats you again. So hopefully WV can be on the other end of that this year. Um, even if it's not Texas Tech, a Texas Tech situation, WV needs to be that team that steals the game because maybe a team just got over an emotional loss. Or, you know, WV is now the team that has nothing to lose. And teams that have nothing to lose can be dangerous. So hopefully WV steps into that role and, you know, you know, they still got a lot to play for, but hopefully they can take advantage of a team losing an emotional game. Yeah. Um, you bring up football real quick, and obviously it's February 1st. A uh, couple of things have broke in the West Virginia football world in the last day or so. Obviously, yesterday was announced, if you have missed it, that West Virginia's road games against Pitt and Virginia Tech this upcoming season are being moved from Saturdays to Thursdays. Pitt, which was originally scheduled for September 3rd, now going to be played on September 1st, Thursday night, primetime. Probably one of those opening marquee games, national television opening the season. And then Virginia Tech um, moving from the 24th of September to the 22nd of September. Um, Your thoughts, Aaron, on what this could mean? I'm, I'm a little unhappy as a fan who's rooted for this team and as someone who likes this team that obviously I feel like okay West Virginia had a noon kick at home last year against Virginia Tech and now Virginia Tech gets a a marquee time slot um I also think it's going to be a little hard for fans that was my first reaction um I obviously Pitt is one thing I think everyone and their grandma is going to go show up to Heinz Field because it's that's going to be that's going to be Morgantown North on the 1st of September couple weeks later in Blacksburg I think it's going to be a lot it would have been a there would have been more Mountaineer fans I'll say if it was on a Saturday compared to now being on a Thursday night yeah Thursday night it's like you know Thursday night makes you feel like you're in the AAC or you know the feels like like the Big East days is what it really yeah Big East football playing on Wednesday and Thursday night but their marquee matchups are early in the season where there's a lot of Saturday games that need to be on primetime 
So I can see, I can see it happening. I don't think it matters much for Pitt. You know, Pitt's going to be a, a crazy environment no matter what day you play it on. You know, Keon Slovis is coming in for Pitt. Pitt hasn't played WVU since 2011, the Orange Bowl year. So that game's going to be crazy either way. Virginia Tech, I think, is a little bit of a wild card because they have such a great environment at Lane Stadium. And, yeah, like you said, if it was a Saturday, I think more Mountaineer fans would have showed up. If you're talking about Morgantown, it's about a four-hour drive. But southern part of the state, West Virginia residents can make that trip easy. Um, Virginia Tech, maybe looking at Grant Wells being their starter from you know, Marshall University, GW High School. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of motion in those two games. And I think that them being moved to Thursday is just – I don't think it matters as, as much. I think they're both going to be crazy games. And I think they're both going to get good Mountaineer turnouts. I think the Pitt game is going to be a much harder victory than Virginia Tech. Um, just kind of just how things are shaking up right now. Virginia Tech, new coach, uh, new quarterback. Pitt, new quarterback. Same like same system, same coach. Um, Pitt won Offens- the eight- offensive coordinator redesigned though, didn't he? I believe so. I think you're right. Um, obviously, not a Pitt football guru by any means, but yeah. um, I do think I think Neil Brown's going to have. He's either going to be safely secure by September 23rd, or he's going to be on the hottest of hot seats by September 23rd. The other uh, piece of football news I want to get to real quick is today it was announced that the gold blue spring game will be on Saturday, April 23rd at one o'clock. And with a quarterback battle comes the intrigue of a spring game. And obviously it's shaping up to be a Garrett green, Nico Marchiol and uh, goose Crowder quarterback competition. But I think fans are going to turn out because these fans are hungry. They know they've got two big time rivalry games this year. They know they've got to start making noise. They know they've got a defense that's got Dante Stills, Josh Chandler coming back. They, they've got guys on the defensive side, Akeem Mesador, um, one of the better coordinators in the country, in the, in the country too. Um, and so I think the hype around the spring game will be solely around the quarterback position. What do you think? Agreed. Um, Me and plenty of other people want to see what these quarterbacks got. Um, I'm high on Nico Markiel. A lot of other people are. I'm intrigued by Goose Crowder. Um, Neil talked about him a lot, playing good in their Friday night light scrimmages. Monday, Monday. Monday night, rather. We just didn't see him. So, but I've heard a lot of good things about him. So, you know, I don't necessarily want him transferring if he's good, but I want the best guy to, to go out there and win the job. Hopefully Nico can step up and just just take the team and put him, put him on his back. But it's going to be super interesting. You got two so important uh, rival rivalry games that haven't happened over the last few years. I just don't – if you lose both of those, if you lose to Pitt and Virginia Tech, I don't see how a coach can cannot get fired from that. So two big games, um, I think they're going to be so entertaining. Yep, and I think that's why we talk about football in the middle of winter is because of the hype and the drama and the everything that comes with it. Uh, One more thing going back to Baylor, West Virginia, that we forgot to do, game balls. Um, Taz Sherman, definitely no question about it. James Akinjo, definitely no question about it. And – I'm going to give Matthew Meyer a game ball. 
And before you get on me, Aaron, and before you call me crazy, he scored nine points, but he scored the most nine me- most meaningful nine points that his team needed him to score, and he scored them at the most critical time. And when you do that and you give – he single – like he willed them to a win. And when you score those nine points late when it matters most, that is how I think in my book you get a game ball. And so that's why I think obviously Sherman, Akinjo, but uh, Matthew Meyer, game ball for me. I'm going to go Taz Sherman um, pretty easily. I just he played his he played his rear end off. He needed that, and I just it's just it sucked how it worked out. I thought Taz should have been the one making the the shots towards. Yeah, the I, I felt like yeah. I agree. I, last night I should have been writing my story yeah. recap saying Taz Sherman scores thirty five. West Virginia goes on the road, turns their season around, beats the number eight team in the country. Yeah. Instead, I wrote Taz Sherman was off the floor for the last three minutes and. 28 seconds or whatever it was and West Virginia then lost 8177. Yeah, I've got a lot of admiration for what Taz did. He's been struggling, then turn the ball over and he just he goes out there and competes, makes shots, gets you know, hit in the jaw and nothing happens. Um and now he's looking at a concussion. So, game ball to Taz. I don't really care about anybody else. <laughs> all good, all good. And while I got you here, um Texas Tech, Texas, you got to give me a prediction. Uh, it's in love, right? Crazy. Yeah, it's in, in love. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. They are ready from what I've heard. Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Um, you know, Texas beat Tennessee by what, one? It's a good win. But weren't they up like 13 or 14 with like a few minutes ago? Almost completely lost against Tennessee. Just barely squeaked by. And didn't even score 60, I don't think. I got Texas Tech. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a ruckus in that place. Mark Adams is going to come out and um, have his guys ready. Give me Texas. And okay. Texas has talent. They have elite talent. And just as bad as Mark Adams and Texas Tech wants to win this game, I would bet you everything I've got, Chris Beard wants to win it even more. Chris Beard wants to go back, beat his former assistant, beat his former team, and he wants to prove that he made the right decision. Because if he loses, he there is going to be the doubt in his mind of, why did I do this? Because Texas before the year was a top five team in the country. They plummeted out of the top 25. They're back in it now. But if you lose the team that you left on your own, it's not like they fired you. It's not like you you were forced out. You chose to leave. And so if you lose to that team, I just think that sends his team down a path that could be detrimental to their season. Yeah, it's also important to note, well, not saying the move wasn't slimy, but Chris Beard did go to Texas, UT Austin. I think he graduated from there. Yep. So, but still, I you're right. Um, they're a talented team. You know, if it can make – Texas, if, if they can get an emotional win against Texas Tech and make Texas Tech, you know, take us lightly, I'll take it. Yeah, and I think that's – it's going to be a fun game to watch, that's for sure, as a college basketball fan. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch, obviously, the developments that happen with Taz Sherman, uh, the developments that happen just with this West Virginia team as a whole. Um, they need Saturday. We've been saying they need a game for, I don't know, two weeks now, and they haven't gotten one. Uh, losers of six straight just isn't as pretty 
even if you're getting moral victories from the outside. So um, you got any, anything else for me, partner? Nope. I think WV is going to come out and play, play good against Texas tech. Um, I don't know if they're going to win or not, but we're going to see a lot of effort from them down the stretch. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to tell you, I love uh, your JB prediction, man. It's fallen flat on its face twice in a row. Twice in a row, you've been high on JB, and he's falling flat. You, I don't know. You might, you might, might got to change your uh, your go to guy there. Take my predictions with a grain of salt. What's my record in Big Twelve games? I don't know. I don't have that. Cool. I don't have that record in front of yeah. me. But I'm not sure. I want to see mine either. Uh, but that's everything we got for you today. If you made it this far, we really do appreciate you listening. I'm Wesley Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker, and we will come back uh, with a Texas Tech preview podcast probably around Friday. Hopefully the Mountaineers get some good news on Taz Sherman before then. Hopefully they get some good news in general, just on, just in general. I mean, they, they're, they're dying for anything good at this point. So uh, West Virginia lose, loses to Baylor Monday night, 81 to 77. Now loses six straight sitting at second to last in the big 12 conference. February 1st, got a month of basketball left and the Mountaineers are going to have to play their butts off. They want to, make some noise in March. So uh, Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, this is the BlueGoldSports.com podcast, and thank you for listening.